0: On the schedule of things to do, there's so many things that we have to balance. It's, we, we try to keep lists of things, like things around the house that we need to remember to do. Uh, because they're important, like you should know at least once a year you need to clean out your dryer vent, right? I mean, that, that one's generally known. It's a fire issue, and the fire department's done a good job of letting us know. Did you know that um, twice a year you're supposed to inspect and clean the coils on the back of the refrigerator? I don't know if I'm qualified to inspect them. I mean, I think I'd look at them and be like, okay, yes, they're still coiling, so they must be fine. Um, but it's one of those things, twice a year, you're supposed to inspect and clean the coils in the, in the back of your refrigerator. Uh, once every month, we are supposed to go around and check all the smoke alarms in our house. Once a month, all right? Every tw- or twice a month, you're supposed to clean the filter within your dishwasher. And this was the most surprising one to me. Many vacuums in their manual, they include instructions that you are supposed to daily do maintenance on your vacuum. Now, I don't know that I have room in my life for such a needy household cleaning device that it needs my daily attention. And we recognize that we have so many things and the list is so much longer than that. But we have so many things in our household that it's like, okay, at least once a year we need to do this. At least every six months we need to do this. At least every month we need to do this. At least every two weeks we need to do this. And this needy vacuum cleaner thinks it gets attention every single day. Like we have lists like that. And we know that those things have to be done. And why is it that we take care of the things in our house so well most of the time But man, when is the last time you did something to take care of your marriage? Now, look, you get bonus points because you're in here learning about how to take better care of your marriage. So good job for you. But I really just want to press into the fact like we know there's things that have to happen at least once a year. And why is it so easy to be like, I can't remember the last time we had a date night? Like there's things that to care for our marriage, we need to do them, routine maintenance. Otherwise, we will end up getting the message from our spouse saying, hey, we need to talk. And you know that when you get the text message, we need to talk. That's not ever a good talk. It's so it's like, oh, there's been conflict there that's been building up and it finally is reaching the bursting point where we can't pretend it's not there anymore and we have to deal with it. And today's message, we're going to be talk, we're going to be, I'm gonna be giving you four do's and don'ts for handling conflict in marriage. And this is something that you wanna have reserved in your heart and ready for the future if you're not married yet. And it's something that you want to begin to apply if you're currently in a relationship. We're going to be looking at a passage from Ephesians chapter 4 today, and we're going to put it up on the screen. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 31, and the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he, and he instructs them, and he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. There's a description of a marriage on a difficult evening, right there. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ. God forgave you. Now, I want to talk about getting rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice. Really, we could do this and talk about all kinds of different grievances. When I think about getting rid of these things, I'm actually, there's a memory that I have when I was a teenager. I was like 14 and just as dumb as a teenage boy can do. And I'm standing in in one of my best friend's houses in the Lindsay residence and his mom, Debbie, standing there, my friend, William, standing there. And we're talking and we're eating popcorn and I dropped a piece of popcorn that fell kind of like right by my feet. Now I'm leaning against the refrigerator and I'm a dumb 14-year-old boy. And so I'm like, I can either pick up that piece of popcorn and put it in the trash can like a civilized human, or I can just kick it under the fridge and it will cease to exist. Like all things that go under the fridge in a 14-year-old boy's mind. And so I obviously made the mature decision to just kind of kick it behind me under the fridge right in front of Mrs. Lindsay. And she was like, I am gonna stuff you under the fridge if you don't get under there, climb in there and get that popcorn out from under there. Like you can't just drop something and hide it and think that it disappeared. And so she made me, but man, I feel like so often in marriages, it's like we have these problems, we have these issues, we have this anger that wells up within a marriage and like it hits the floor and we're like, I'm just gonna kinda, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm not gonna clean it up, but I'm gonna just kinda like sweep it under the rug. Like, I know that it's there, but at least I can't, I can't see it directly, so I don't have to think about it. And it's like, there's problems with like, how we spend our money, and there's problems with how we talk to each other, and there's problems about the way that kids speak to each other, and there's problems about in-laws and holidays, and there's problems about the house that we live in, and the way that we, we treat each other, and there's these problems in marriage, and what often happens is like, we have bitter, we have anger, and we're like, well, I'll at least clean it up a little bit, but what I'm going to do is I'm just going to tuck it right under there. And if it's under there, then I don't, I don't have to think about it because I'm like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. We're just going to move on. But also if it's there, when I mess up and, and my spouse tries to say something about what I just messed up, I can be like, do you see this mess from the last five years of our life? The things that you've done, the things that you've said, the way that you've behaved, it's still right here. And it's like, this is the way that we deal with our issues. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, when he's saying, get rid of it, he's saying, you know, get rid of the behaviors. But he doesn't just leave it at the behaviors. He says, get rid of the grievances. Forgive each other as Christ forgave you. As in one hand, he's saying, stop with the anger and the brawling and the malice. The, The issues that are popping up, change your behaviors. But the way that you forgive each other, it has to change as well. It's not sweep it under the carpet. It's you need to sweep it up. And what he says is you need to get rid of it. It needs to be gone out of your household. And today, as we, as we talk about conflict and talk about dealing with conflict together, this is really the starting point. The, the way that verse 32 describes it, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ. God forgave you. Now, I wanna have absolute clarity on this issue. In case anyone listening to this is new to the church because you hear the statement, as Christ forgave you, do you recognize how Christ forgave you? When you were guilty of sin, when you deserved punishment, when you had done nothing right, when you deserved absolute punishment, he looked at you and he said, I am willing to forgive you. The moment that your heart is repentant, the moment that you're ready to receive it from me, he says, I'll forgive you and I will remove your sins as far as the East is from the West. I will clean off the whole slate. I will make you a new creation. The old will be gone and the new will be here. This is how Christ forgave you. It wasn't, I will hold on to it in my back pocket so that when you slip and mess up again, I will say, aha, see, you're still the same person you've always been. That is not how Christ forgave you. It was not, I'm gonna give you one more chance, but if you fail this time, then I'm just done. That is not how Christ forgave you. The way that Christ forgave you is he said, I'm giving you a completely new slate and I am adopting you into my family. The way that he describes it, he says, you're in my hands now and no one is strong enough to pry you out of my hands. That is how Christ forgave you. And that is the instruction to the church. And I will say that is the instruction for you and how you treat your spouse. You guys need to change some behaviors that are destructive, absolutely, but you also need to change your patterns of forgiveness in a way that lines up with scripture. And I wanna say, everything that I teach today is gonna be focused around those who are saying, Christ is the center of our life. And you can try to apply these things if Christ is not yet the center of your life, but I'm gonna tell you, in order to have the foundation and the power to see it through, you have to reach the point where you say, I am loving my spouse, not because of what they deserve, but because of my worship of who Christ is. And when Christ is the center, that is when you have the strength to be able to walk these things out. It really starts with that center point, because this is the power for the way that we we handle our conflict and our relationship with our spouse. When we, uh, and and this is really the starting point in the conversation of conflict. Number one, um, these are the do's and don'ts I'm gonna give you today. Do have conflict but do not sweep it under the rug. And I want, to start, I want to start with that really basic thought of do have conflict because you need to have conflict in your marriage because you do have problems in your marriage. You have problems because you have two people in it. That's the starting point for problems. Because you see things one way and they see things another way. You feel things one way and they feel things in a different way. You do things one way and they do things in the wrong way, right? I mean, that's how we view our marriages. And so there is conflict, even if the conflict is not on the surface yet. And this is one of the issues in so many marriages is you have one person who is such a peacemaker that they will keep secret from you all the ways that you've been hurting and offending them until they reach an exploding point. And this is a problem. If this is you, you need to no longer be afraid of having conflict with the person that you are in a marriage with. You have to be willing to say, when we do this, it hurts me. When you spend without talking to me, when you just invite people over without letting me know, when you make changes to what we had talked about, whatever it is that has been offending you secretly and it has not caused conflict because you've just been sweeping it under the rug. That is not the godly way to handle your marriage. You have to be honest. You have to be open. Real marriages, they have conflict. And quite honestly, conflict is not a bad sign in a marriage. It's a healthy sign in a marriage. It's saying that we're being open and we're being honest with each other. I like the way that Les and Leslie um, Parrott talked about conflict in their book, Saving Your Marriage Before It Begins. This is a curriculum that I use uh, when I'm preparing people for marriage and premarital counseling. But they made the statement, conflict is the price we pay for deeper intimacy. Conflict, it, it's the toll on the road to deeper intimacy with your partner. Why why? Would it be that way? This is why. Because there's gonna be points in time where maybe internally your mind is saying the gap between us is too large to ever be able to make it across. Like we're never gonna see this the same. It's too big of a conflict. But if Christ is at the center of your life and and therefore Christ is at the center of your marriage, and though you feel like, man, we are too far apart, when you continue to submit to one another the way that Ephesians 5.21 tells you to, out of your reverence for Christ, then, then you surprise yourselves and you're like, I thought we could never make it through that, but we made it through it. And each conflict actually builds confidence It doesn't diminish your confidence in the person because when you properly work through a conflict, when you talk it through and work it through together, then you begin to recognize there is no mountain that is too tall for us to get over as we put Christ at the center of our marriage. Like we can get through all of these things. And so your confidence in that person and your relationship together, it grows. Some of you are afraid conflict will be like the first crack that breaks everything apart. I wanna you know, conflict is one of the first signs of healing because offense is already there. Conflict is recognizing that the offense is there and beginning the process of repairing it. And so when there is problems, malice, anger, issues, get rid of it and be ready to forgive it completely. So first we have to acknowledge, we have have to have the conflict. We need to not sweep it under the rug. And and this is is how important resolving conflict was to Jesus. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Jesus is, is speaking and he says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them then come and offer your gift. Jesus is talking about the religious duty of a a Hebrew person, that they were bringing their their offering into the temple. They were bringing their sacrifice. This was how they, they stayed right with God. It was critically important for them to honor God in their sacrifice. And he said, if you're reaching that point where you're about to present the offering that God deserves, but you remember someone has something against you. They have a problem with you and you haven't tried to resolve it yet, and you remember that problem, you, you leave your, your gift there, you don't complete it, you stop that worship, and you go and you worship God in a different way by seeking reconciliation. Do you understand how important it is to the heart of God that we seek reconciliation? That he, and notice, he didn't give us the out. He said, if you remember that they have something against you, I mean, you can line this up with what the apostle Paul taught. He said, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all people. He doesn't say wait for them to be ready. He doesn't say wait till they seek forgiveness. He says, when you remember that they have something against you, go and be reconciled to them. This is the main truth that I want you to see from this passage. Reconciliation, it always starts with you. Paul, that's not fair. Scripture isn't fair. Thank God that he is not fair. And the calling that he puts upon his people in the eyes of the culture, it sometimes is not fair that he says, it's always gonna be your responsibility and you will always be without excuse. Try, seek it out as far as it depends upon you. Reconciliation should start with you. It's like, well, they don't deserve that from me though. You're right, they don't. But if Christ is at the center, we have to submit our will and our mind to his teachings. So we seek. We're we're in our marriage relationship. They messed up. We're not talking to each other. It's their fault. I should just continue to give them the silent treatment. No. You go after them and you seek after them and you seek reconciliation. Reconciliation. And so many people find themselves in difficult conflict within their relationships. And they have these behaviors. So it's like our, our marriage and our behaviors are so bad towards each other that it's impacting our kids and the way that our kids act. And, and we're, we're just not being nice to each other. And so Paul, can you meet with us and help us fix our behaviors? And I say, yes, I can, I can tell you how to, how to fix some things but it really starts at the center of who you are. And they're like, well, no, we, we're, we're not so much into the God thing. Like we just, we just need some of your tips and tricks to get along better. I'm like, it just, it just doesn't work that way. Let me show it this way. Go, go to the, the graphic. It's like, they're upset with how the exterior parts of their life look. They're upset with their influence and their impact. They're upset with their actions and behaviors, but the values and beliefs and what's at the center of their life, they're like, that doesn't need to change. And I want to submit to you that whatever is at the center of your life, that is going to shape your values and beliefs. Your values and beliefs are going to shape your actions and behaviors, and then your actions and your behaviors will shape your influence and your impact on your family and your life around you. And if you are trying to just change behaviors, it's not really the behaviors that's the issue. And within the Christian church, I want you to hear me me clearly on this. It is our reverence for Christ that should be at the center of how we treat our spouse. And that is why it is so critically important, single people, for you to choose someone who puts Christ at the center of their life. Because if they have no reverence for Christ, then they are missing one of the most critical pieces to be a good spouse to you. Because the calling is so high, the calling is so difficult, unless Christ has his rightful place in our life, it's gonna feel impossible. to. And so what, what happens in so many relationships is at the center of their life, self is the most important thing. You've seen this happen. It's like everything is, it's about me, it's about my day, it's about what I need, it's about what I deserve. And so what happens is since self is the most important thing, what they value is how they feel, how they're emotionally feeling, what they want, what they need. So when they get home and they're tired at the end of the day, it's just about them having their beer, sitting on their Lazy Boy, watching the show that they want to watch, letting whatever else chaos happen in the house. They don't care. It's about them. When it's about the budget, it's about what they deserve to spend, what they deserve to have, the way they deserve to look, and it's all about them. And so naturally, that's their values and beliefs. So their actions, their spending, their behaviors, their time, it's all spent on them themselves. And so if, if this is you right now, and you're trying to talk to someone to fix the actions in your marriage, I'm going to tell you, it's not just about the actions. It's about the center. What's at the center matters the most. We understand that with self. It happens with kids. So many of us will put kids at the center of our life and we will say, I can't remember the last time that we went on a date night, but I can tell you all about the upcoming volleyball and karate and basketball schedule. We can't miss the theater performance and, and the extra coaching that we get for volleyball. And I understand it's more than we really meant to spend and we're gone from the house seven nights a week but we wanna make sure that our kid has every opportunity that they can to be a professional volleyball player one day. Married people, I love my kids with with all my heart and I wanna be the best dad possible to them. But if I wanna be the best dad possible to my kids and I wanna give them the best opportunities in the rest of their life, I have to put Christ first, I have to put my marriage second and then my kids. And if you don't model for them what a healthy marriage looks like, they're gonna replicate the same pain of feeling further and further and further away from their spouse. Kids, they can't be at the center of our life. The next one, hobbies. Well, you know, I've got the scuba diving trip coming up or I've got the the, the sports thing or the golf trip. Like I would love to be involved in church. I would love to help volunteer, but we we have all of the commitments for all the fun things that we encompass our life with. Look, Look, hobbies are great. I have too many hobbies of my own, but my hobbies always have to take like fifth place to the other things that precede them. And so many people, it's like, you know, I, I, I want to have a stronger marriage, but I also don't want to give up golfing five days a week. That is a real Southwest Florida struggle for some men. Hobbies can't be at the center. It has to, it has to be Christ at the center. When you, when you seek first the kingdom of God, everything else that you need gets added. When you give him the rightful place and you're continuing to say, you know, God, how do I honor you in this relationship? It puts our values and our beliefs in the right place. It shapes our actions and behaviors. And then it creates the proper impact that we should have in our life. And it, and it drastically changes the outcomes of marriages. You guys have heard the statistic that I believe it's even over 50 right now, um, I'll get back to that quote. We're going to go ahead and jump to the statistics. Um, over 50%, one in two marriages end in divorce. We've heard that across our culture. We've also heard the statement that within the church, the divorce rate isn't different. Well, that's true within people who, attend, who, who say that they are Christians, but it's not necessarily true even of people who just attend church regularly. When you dial into the studies a little bit more and you look at the people who attend church regularly, it moves from 50% to about 20%. One out of five marriages that attend church regularly together will end in divorce. And so that's already like a 30% improvement if you just attend church regularly. But did you know that if you pray together regularly and attend church regularly, what they found is one out of 1,500 marriages will end in divorce. That is a huge statistical change. When when Christ is at the center of your life enough where you say, I will value time spent in prayer with you and I will put at the forefront of our schedule time spent in worship with other believers, the likelihood of your marriage making it through your life changes dramatically. Self at the center, it's not gonna work. Kids at the center, it's not gonna work. Our mutual hobbies at the center of our life, it's not gonna work. Put Christ at the center. And out of reverence for him, submit your needs one to another. And that's gonna empower you guys to live. And so uh, we, we do have conflict. We, we don't sweep it under the rug. We do pursue God together, but we do not expect perfection. This is what it really gets at. This isn't saying that, you know, the, these, these people become perfect. These one, 1,499 people who pray together and attend church together, those people have become perfect and they're conflict free. No, they're still going to experience conflict, but they have this, this concept within them that we're going to pursue God together. Like that's part of who we are as a couple. Christ is the center of our lives individually. He's gonna be the center of our marriage. And so we wanna pursue. And so if you wanna navigate conflict well, then you have to make the decision. We're gonna pursue God together and we're not gonna expect perfection out of each other. We're gonna pursue the highest calling, but we're also gonna provide the highest grace. Because this is what happens sometimes in church couples. They will say, okay, we're pursuing the highest calling, and then I have the biggest stick to beat you down with when you make a mistake. I am going to shame you. I'm going to make you feel terrible. I will tell you you're a failure before God, before your family, and before your children. And I wanna clarify for you that when you make a mistake, there is grace, but there should be this central concept within you that I have a purpose and a calling and a direction that my life is gonna go on and it's pursuing Christ together with this person that he's given me. The instruction is given in Second in Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. And it uses this illustration of yoxin together to, to talk about the person that you tie your life to. The Apostle Paul says, don't be yoked, together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? And he's saying, if you are yoked together with someone else and you're you're tied in through a board together and you're you're pulling a plow, you're working the field together, but they have a completely different view on God and their life is going a different direction and you're pursuing God, it's gonna be chaos and turmoil, right? you, You have to have someone who says, I have the same calling as you. And I hope it hasn't been a long time in your household since a statement like, I want you to know that Christ is going to be the center of this house. And the way that I try to live, I wonder how long you guys have had the conversation. You said, Christ is going to be the center and all of our other things will flow out of that. Our our goal as a couple is to make a difference in the kingdom of God. For you guys to recognize like we have a job and we're tied together and and you're not going way out left and I'm not going way out right, but we're working together and we're working this field. This is why the warning is given because if, if you're a single person and you choose someone and your lives go in different ways, it's gonna be painful for you. You're not gonna get done the things that God wants to accomplish through your life if you're constantly dealing with someone who does not see the reality of the kingdom of God. And so you need to be someone who says, I'm gonna pursue God, and we're going to pursue God together. And men and women, I I hope you have that conversation. That that, that would be one of the challenges that I would, this is such a simple challenge, but it is an important one. Have you said that recently as a couple, that Christ needs to be the center of our home? Have your kids heard you say, Christ is going to be the center of this household? Because if your kids hear you say it, they will help hold you accountable, won't they? But it's important for them to have that model, that we're going to be a household that pursues God together, but we don't, pers- we don't expect perfection. Like we make allowances for people when they fail because that is the way that God has loved us. What's difficult is if one of us is striving and the other one has been taking a back seat, and that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to warn us. You want to have someone who is pursuing God the same way that you pursue him. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, it paints this picture of the way that we should treat each other. And he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This calling is for you, and this is why you want to be paired with someone who says, Christ is Lord. Because if you have two of these attitudes, both saying, I'm gonna submit my needs to you. I'm gonna serve others. If you you have that happening on both sides of the marriage within the household, it really helps to make conflict easy to manage. It has a humility within your heart and within their heart that you want to see and that you want to be a part of. And so it requires that heart of pursuing God. And so even when we have that, when we run into conflict, this is one of the biggest rules of conflict. And this is one of the other scriptural principles that we want to make sure that we see Um, a do and don't is do listen, do not assume. And I'm a pastor and I'm not going to make the joke about assuming. Um, Some of you know it, the rest of you can figure it out. We understand the problems that come from assuming but do listen, James chapter one, verse 19. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Within the context of conflict within a marriage, we need to stop and listen. And I think that what we fall into is that we know the person so well that we've already decided why they've messed up. We've already decided what their motivation was. We've already decided that we know enough about the equation to go ahead and unleash rage because we know them so well. And I wanna tell you, you don't learn anything from speaking. And even if you've been married for 20 or 40 years, you still have things to learn. And so when conflict happens, listen. Listen to what's going on. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. And this is an instruction for all people, dear brothers and sisters, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. When we listen, we often listen with the intent to reply. It's like, have you been in that circumstance where you're listening to them, but what you're really listening for is the break in which they stop speaking so you can tell them how wrong they are? We need to listen with the intent to understand and understand where they are coming from and then be slow to speak. There's times where what we want to say is not the right thing to say. Our goal what is our goal? Uh, th- this is a question that my children have been subjected to many times. Um, it's a question that I try, have tried to teach them to see in other people, uh, where they'll say something and they'll say, What was your intent by saying that? Did you want to make someone else feel bad? Did you want to make them feel stupid? Did you want to make them feel embarrassed? Like, what was your intent? in saying that statement. Often in marriages, we will say something and we won't wanna think about what our intent was in saying it. Maybe slow your speech down a little bit and ask yourself, Why am I about to, like, I want to say that, but why do I want, do I want to make them feel worse or do I want to move things towards resolution? And I'm not telling you to avoid the conflict. We need to lean into the conflict so that we can get rid of the issue, so that we can heal from it, so that we can get rid of it, so that we can progress. But part of progressing is being able to listen, not assuming why they did something, and then speaking the words that help to heal. Uh, So often someone will apologize um, and we will say, I forgive you, but I know you're just going to do it again. And I want to tell you, that's not helpful. I'm going to say it this way. One one of the other, the fourth do and do not that I would give you is do celebrate progress. Do not expect regression. Say, but Paul, I know them. I know that they always fall back into that. I know that they mess up. Listen, speak life and not death into people, especially your spouse. It's going to pay dividends in your future. It's going to help you if you will speak them up instead of beat them down. If you will look at them and believe with them and pray with them and encourage them, you're going to help them become a better man or woman of God instead of beating them into believing that they're just going to continue the same failures of their past, of their father, of their mother, of their family of origin. We want to break those curses and we want to speak blessings into people's lives. We're going to celebrate progress and we're not going to expect regression. Collins, family, will will you guys go and make your way up in here? I'm going to have a little help and band, you guys can make your way up and and help me with um, the prop where I'm going to help kind of illustrate this a little bit. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through 32. It says, get rid of all bitterness, all rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, one of, my, one of my friends used this at his church, and I, and I loved it, to illustrate. Um, when you—go ahead and, and, and choose a seat. When you get married, you, you kind of get into a boat together. And I like to refer as to ca- tandem kayaks as relationship tests. Um, if you haven't had a good argument with your spouse in a while— Go get in a canoe or a kayak together where you have to paddle, and it'll solve that. Um, it'll give you an opportunity to practice what we've been learning about today. But um, I, I think that, here, you get that one because just stereotypically this is how it works. Um, when we get into the boat of a relationship together, and then something happens and someone makes a mistake, the, the right thing for them to do is repent, right? Right? Because they're like, I want the, the relationship to go forward. and Go and row some for me. But if one side is rowing and trying to make the relationship go straight, but the other side isn't doing anything, what happens to them? Just circles, right? And, but say, he's making dumb mistakes, but he's not rowing. And, and he doesn't think it's a big deal, but she wants the relationship to thrive. And so she's trying to forgive, and she's rowing, and she's forgiving, But he's not repentant and he keeps doing the same dumb things over and over. What happens in their relationship? Just goes in circles. No progression, no growth, no moving forward. But when we make mistakes and one of us genuinely repents and and go ahead and row, and the other one genuinely forgives and and they they receive and say, okay, we're going to grab a hold of that water and we're going to push it behind us. And we're going to move forward and move away from it. Then, what they do is they, they get going and they get momentum and they, they get change and they get growth. And, and that's what we want. But it takes both of you guys giving 100% to fix the issues that's behind you. Thank you, guys. That, that, that's all I needed from you. That was awesome. But this is what they, yeah, that's great. But in your marriage, some of you guys are, are, are trying and you're doing your side of the boat. Keep doing your side and maybe the conversation will be a little bit uncomfortable to say, if there's anything else that I need to be doing on my side, let me know, because I want to do it. I want to see us go forward. I, I want to take ownership of my mistakes. But I-, I need your forgiveness so that we can get out of these waters and go out into something new. And on the side of forgiveness, it's, It's sometimes hard because the issue was real. But for yourself, for your spouse, for your kids, out of reverence for Christ, when they have a repentant heart, it's time to forgive. It's time to move forward. And you're not going to make it out of conflict unless you have both happening. They can't keep repenting forever. There has to be a point where you say, just as in Christ God forgave me, I will forgive you. And when we have marriages that will model proper conflict management and proper forgiveness, we will get to be a light to the world, a light to our children, and a joy to each other. I'm gonna pray for you, and at the end of the prayer and during the psalm, if you just recognize you need prayer over something, whether it's physical, whether it's something in your relationship, whether it's a spiritual matter, our prayer team's going to be right up here at the front. Don't pass the moment by without allowing God the opportunity to act in your life. And if he's challenging you to take a step, take that step. Let me pray. Father, I pray for the relationships and the people in the room that as I speak this, it sits heavy on their heart. And I pray that you would give them courage to take the step that they need to take, no matter how difficult it may be and no matter how long it's been coming, that they need to make this decision. Give them the courage they need to trust you. And that's what we recognize, that at the center of all of the behaviors and attitudes and actions of our relationship, at the center of our life, it's you. It's you who we revere. And it's our reverence, for you, that shapes the way that we treat our spouse. So Father, we lift up your name. And Jesus, out of love for you, we extend grace. And we ask for your strength to give the grace that is needed. We thank you for your endless love. In Jesus' name.